Good afternoon. Welcome to the Mid-Hudson Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous Light a Candle special event. My name is Amy. I'm a compulsive overeater and your leader for this event. After a moment of silence, will all those who wish please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Here are the 12 steps as adapted for Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. It's the 10th month, so I'm going to read the 10th tradition, which is Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. This is a light a candle meeting. It takes its name from the proverb, it is better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. Through shared experience, strength, and hope, we seek to shine a light through the darkness of our illness onto the spiritual path to recovery. In the big book, we read about the twofold nature of our illness. We can't stop once we've started, and if we somehow manage to stop, we can't stay stopped. The physical allergy, the mental twist. Today, we focus on that second part, to quote the big book, the mental states that precede a relapse. I've heard people say in the rooms that if breaking abstinence and picking up is like a train derailing, then the relapse is the caboose of the train. So how can we recognize the warning signs, the way to stop the train before the caboose appears and we succumb to the desperate experiment of the first drink? Here today to discuss getting out of relapse, staying out of relapse and avoiding relapse in the first place. We welcome Melissa C. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. Yeah. So um, my name is Melissa C. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And um, 
Yeah, it's good to see everybody here today. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll just give you like a brief little bit about me um, to sort of qualify before I get into this discussion, this topic. Um, I am pretty certain I was born a compulsive overeater. My um, earliest memories are all food related. Um, I battled um, my weight, <laughs> controlling my weight, losing weight, gaining weight all of my life. My food and my eating were always on my mind. They were first and foremost. They were the biggest problem in the room at any given point in time. I always felt like no matter what else was happening in the room, in my head was constantly, um, you eat too much, right? You're too fat. You got to do something about it. And it didn't matter what was going on. I could be at a gorgeous celebration. I could be in a class. I could be anywhere. And I felt like that was just the, like the elephant in the room. Like that piece was just always the, just running underneath. And, um, you know, and so my... Um, my early memories were all about trying to get myself to appear like I was normal. Just please let me pass for a normal person. Um, and I, so, and I was, I was just constantly struggling my weight. I was up and down and up and down. And, you know, like one of the, I, I share this a lot, but I, it seems to um, help people really identify um, that, at a very young age, I remember my mother taking a cake out of the refrigerator and before the first slice was cut, I knew my piece was not enough. And that was just always how I experienced food. I could not eat, I couldn't eat and feel satisfied. So if I was eating, if I was enjoying my food, I wasn't controlling it. And if I was controlling it, I wasn't enjoying it. And I could never, I could never do both. Um, you know, so um, fast forward, right? I, um, my, what landed me in the rooms was um, obesity, right? It was morbid obesity. And, um, and so I'm gonna like define what relapse is, right? Relapse is decline, degenerate, revert, wane, and set back. So in our terms, it's when someone goes back to the food, right? We call that a relapse. And oftentimes I hear people try to like quantify it. So they'll either say they had a slip, right? They've been sloppy in their eating. They haven't been making the best choices. They overate, but it was on abstinent foods. There's a lot of ways that relapse occurs. And so I think it's, it's worth clearing up a few things, right? One, there are no slips. Like, I just think that we have to be really careful with the words that we use. Um, unless, of course, right, you actually slipped and fell and landed on a cupcake with your mouth open, right? Other than that, right, it's not a slip because there's a series of actions that a compulsive overeater takes in order to get the food, right? We... we like I may have gotten in my car, right? I drove up to the drive-through. I ordered something. I took out my wallet. I took out some money, paid for the item, got it, unwrapped it, and ate it. 
right? That was one way. And I would say, oh my God, I had a slip. I don't know what happened, but that's not a slip. That's like going back to the food again. Um, and two, sloppy eating, right? So let's talk about sloppy eating. Um, that's also not my issue because this isn't Sloppy Eaters Anonymous, right? And um, so if you're sloppy, right, you get a napkin. <laughs> like, you know, let's, let's call it what it is. Um, what does it really mean when someone's eating in sloppy ways? It means they're not eating in a way that's aligned with their own definition of tidy eating, which is abstinence, right? They're not abstinent. They're not eating within their own definition, thereby they're saying it's sloppy. And what they really mean is that they're not eating abstinently, period. They're not abstinent. That's really what it is, isn't it, right? And, um, you know, my disease loves, uh, loves soft words for the truth. It loves obscurity. It likes, um, you know, it's that little, that little room that I can get in, my toe in the door, um, you know? And so now like, let's talk about choices, right? When someone says that they're not making the best choices and that means that someone has determined that they're not, they're not making the best choices, right? And so it sounds like they're saying they have the ability to choose. And now if one believes that they have the ability to choose, then perhaps they never really took step one, meaning they have not fully conceded, surrendered and accepted to their innermost self that they are real compulsive eaters. A real compulsive eater by definition has lost the power of choice. And in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in the chapter, there is a solution on page 24, right? It says, the fact is that for most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. So when I was saying that I didn't make good choices, but I would choose better next time, I was actually in greater danger than I even imagined. I was like in the worst state of all. Um, and so that's always for me like a warning sign when someone will say to me, when I get like a call from someone, someone will say, yeah, I'm, you know, like I'm, I'm abstinent, but I'm just not really making good choices. Um, that's like warning, warning, warning. They're, they're worse off than you think you are. Um, you know, because as long as I believe that I can still control, then there's no chance that I can work the rest of the steps in the way that I need to in order to get well, right? Um, okay, now four, overeating on abstinent foods, right? So I know that the doctor's opinion is very clear about the allergy of the body. And yes, most of us have specific allergic foods. That seems to be common. Um, things that trigger the allergy just from ingesting it in any form at all. Like those are my allergic foods. But it's important to note that we also often suffer from allergic food behaviors. Um, and I found out that I trigger the allergic response, which is an insatiable need for more and more, not just from eating certain foods, but also from certain food behaviors. 
I need, I need a daily committed food plan. I need to eat on time at a table and not in a casual way where food is recreational. I, I can't eat recreationally. I found out that eating in front of the TV, you know, at the movies, on the go, um, spontaneously off of my plan does something to me just like ingesting an alcoholic food. It triggers an allergic response in me. Um, and so I can't overeat on abstinent foods and believe that I'm being abstinent. That's not abstinent. Um, you know, so, so there's two things that we're really gonna focus on for this talk. One, you know, in the, the initial title of it was coming out of relapse, right? How do you regain recovery from a relapse or after a relapse? And I sort of said, let's include relapse prevention right? Because this way we're kind of getting both people. Because if you're, see, here's the sad, dangerous thing. If you're out there in the middle of your relapse, you might not be here because that's what the disease does. It makes us have zero enthusiasm for the treatment. So when I was off in my relapse, I certainly wasn't going to meetings talking about relapsing. I was out there eating, right? And um, maybe you're here because you're in a relapse and you're like, please, I hope that I hear something and awesome if you are, right? We're gonna address that. But maybe you're here because you're like, God help me, I don't wanna ever have to relapse again. Um, you know, so we're gonna talk about relapse prevention. Let's talk about how we're gonna avoid having a relapse. And, you know, I was thinking like, why is it that I can speak about um, recovering from a relapse and relapse prevention? Like what, what makes me an expert, right? Um, because if I had heart, if I, you know, was a heart specialist, right? If I was specialized in heart disease um, and I was going to come to some sort of a forum and talk to people about how you can recover after a heart attack or heart attack prevention, I might be asked to speak based on my education or years of research, right? Um, or because I've been successful in treating lots of patients. So like, what's my credentials here, right? What, what gives me, cause I'm not, right? I'm not a heart expert. Um, what gives us the credentials here is my experience, right? Is the experience that I have. And um, in a way it's always our experience that makes us uniquely qualified. And um, it's my own experience as a woman who has this disease and who has had relapses, right? And who has recovered. Um, and my hope is that my experience can benefit another person, right? That's always our hope. And if there's something you hear in my story that you find beneficial, then I've been able to do something great today, right? Then I've been able to do something wonderful today. And I love, you know, as an aside in the, the part in the big book in the family afterwards on page 124, it's like my, one of my favorites. It says, cling to the thought that in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession you have. The key to life and happiness for others. With it, you can avert death and misery for them. And I just think like, isn't that, that's just so beautiful that the pile of garbage, right? That, that was my life. All that pain gets reshaped and reformed into something beautiful 
that becomes my greatest possession, the best thing I own. Um, and I just, I just love that. I just think that's a beautiful, what a beautiful promise. Then I don't have to regret. I don't have to regret my relapse, right? I don't have to regret it if there's something valuable that can be taken from it today. So um, I, came, I came to OA um, almost 30 years ago. I was in my early 20s and I'm going to be 52 now. I was, at the time, I was 280 pounds. I had newly graduated from college and I was disgusted with my weight, with my life or the lack thereof, right? I had no life because I was living in the food and I was disgusted with myself. And I knew I had, I knew at that point I had a problem much greater and different than others who said they struggled with their weight. Like I knew it. I had been around people who struggled with weight and, and done, you know, you don't get to be a woman in her early 20s, 280 pounds without having gone on every diet at that point. My parents lovingly spent thousands of dollars trying to help me. So I've been in every diet program in every diet room and I would hear things there that I wanted so much to believe. And yet I knew for me, there was something that just didn't jive with me. Um, because people there who struggled with their weight weren't saying exactly the same thing that I was feeling. They were talking about moderation. They were talking about education, that finding out more information um, was powerful was gonna give them power. And yet I knew I was a smart girl and I knew so much and it wasn't helping me. It was, you know, it would help me in moments and then, and then it wasn't. So when I came into Overeaters Anonymous, um, I went to a particular meeting and this was in the, in the 80s and um, maybe, maybe it was the 90s. I was, I was um, yeah, it was the early 90s. At this meeting, I was given a food plan with some information about the evils of sugar. And I was also handed a big book, right? I was given, they, they back then in this particular meeting, they gave you a diet. They gave you this, this sheet, they called it gray sheet. Um, and that was my, that was my God. That was my Bible. That was everything. And the big book I took and I scanned it for the diet. I kept like flipping the pages and I didn't find it, right? And, you know, as uh, sort of tell you, I also didn't read the doctor's opinion, right? Because um, that was part of the forward. It didn't even have numbers. So why would I bother to read that? Had I read it, maybe I would have found out there actually was, there was a diet there in a way. There was information about what I needed to know. Um, but instead I took that book and I just shoved it in a drawer and I worshiped a food plan. A food plan was God. And abstinence was my religion. It was everything I believed in. Abstinence was the most important thing in my life without exception. That was, that was God. Um, and I lost a tremendous amount of weight in a record time. I was, I was young. I had an awesome, you know, um, motivation. I was highly motivated and I was really young and the weight flew and I had no real obligations, right? I was, I was a young single woman. The weight flew off me and I, but I did not work the steps with intensity. And 
the earnestness necessary to recover, right? And because I was young and properly motivated by my misery and my alcoholic foods were put down, you know, as it turns out that gray shit actually was pretty close to the way I eat today, but today I don't worship a, a gray shit. I don't worship a diet. I don't worship a food plan. Um, you know, but I was young and I was properly motivated. I was miserable enough and my alcoholic foods were put down and I was able to stay the course long enough to get all the things that, that I wanted that brought me into that meeting. So I reached a normal weight. Um, I got, I got a husband. That was really what I wanted to meet a man. I wanted to meet a man desperately. I got married. Um, I got a good job that I loved. I got a life. I felt like, okay, I got a life, but I never, I never helped anybody, never helped anybody else. And I was actually deeply ashamed by the fact that I had been morbidly obese. Like I didn't want, this was like a secret. Please don't let this out of the bag. Um, you know, in fact, I remember my husband at the house, at my parents' house, looking at pictures on the wall. And he was like, you know, he didn't really know that that's what he was marrying, right? He had no clue. Um, surprise, right? Um, he found out. Um, and I remember like his friends coming over to my parents' house and I was like, oh crap, there's pictures of me around. Like I, this was like, I did not want people to know. I was steeped in shame. Um, and you know, what happened was I actually found myself back in the food, you know, truly what happened was I thought I was cured, you know, and that now that I appeared normal, I was normal. And so I could do what normal people do. And what happened for me was on our beautiful honeymoon of all places, horrible. Um, I picked up a beautiful frozen tropical drink. It was, you know, and I was like, but I'm a newlywed. That's what, that's what young married people do. I'm normal. I'm on my honeymoon. It's Jamaica. And I picked up this frozen tropical drink, which was really uh, ice cream. Let's, let's call it what it was. It was ice cream with, uh, you know, alcohol in it. And once I took that, all bets were off. I had nothing else. I had no other program but abstinence. So once I lost my abstinence, there was nothing else for me to grab onto. And the rest of my honeymoon was spent eating, was spent at the buffet, was spent at the swim up bar because you could actually sit in the pool the entire day and they would serve you food and alcohol. And that's what I did on this beautiful trip with my new husband. And, um, and I was certain that I would come back from the honeymoon and be able to get right back on my plan. I mean, if you would have given me a lie detector, I would have said, absolutely. Um, but by the end of my honeymoon, nothing fit me. None of the gorgeous clothes that I bought fit me um, because I gain weight just as fast as I lose it. I gain it because, you know, I'm a, I'm a compulsive overeater and I have a serious food addiction. And I cannot remember I said earlier, if I'm eating and enjoying my food, I cannot control it. So I was, I was enjoying the food and I was out of control. So yeah, I came home and nothing fit me and I could not, I could not get back on that plan. And so my first few years of marriage, I regained 
everything that I had lost before I met my husband. And that was horrible. You know, um, somebody at an Overeaters Anonymous meeting when I shared that story said to me, oh, so you pulled the old bait and switch on the guy. And I was like, oh God, yeah, that's what I did. Um, you know, but I couldn't do anything else about it. And, you know, so how can this experience, how can that mess help someone else, right? Um, well, if you want to avoid relapse, right, don't do what I did. And so I believed that I could grow new legs. That's what I believed, right? And in the big book, more about alcoholism on page 30, it says, we are like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. Neither does there appear to be any kind of treatment which will make alcoholics of our kind like other men. We have tried every imaginable remedy. In some instances, there has been brief recovery followed always by a still worse relapse. Physicians who are familiar with alcoholism agree there's no such thing as making a normal drinker out of an alcoholic. Science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet. So to avoid a relapse, it's essential that one understands and believes in their very heart that this disease is permanent, progressive, and fatal. Gotta believe that. If you don't believe that, you're, you're on your way for a relapse. Um, and to gain recovery, right, and come back after a relapse, it's also crucial to understand that relapse, by the way, is not part of recovery. Rather, it's part of the fatal progression, right? Two different things. And sometimes I hear people say, well, relapse is part of recovery. No, it's not. It's part of the disease, but it's not part of the treatment. Um, you know, and this is the subtle foe. That belief is the subtle foe. The sufferer of relapse often doesn't realize they're in relapse until the consequences are apparent. It's easy to fool oneself if your weight hasn't increased yet, right? I'm going to add that word yet. Um, but the progressive nature of the disease means that without a sufficient spiritual connection, that itchy, irritable, and discontent feeling grows in, in, in intensity and, and in frequency. So you feel that way more often, you feel that way deeper over time, and the allergy becomes even more sensitive to, right? So this disease progresses. So without a spiritual solution, I am more irritable over time. That means I can be abstinent for a really long time and I am so irritable. I am ever increasingly irritable. That is growing and growing and growing. And so is my sensitivity to my allergic foods. That is also growing. My sensitivity for me has spread to foods that once were not problems. Truth, that's the truth. And that might sound horrible, right? Um, and, and it was actually, 
opposite of what I was always told in weight loss programs, right? That eventually will give you back some things. And actually it works the opposite way in, in, in OA, right? What I have found is that mm, not true. Actually, over time, I've had to let go of more, more things. Um, but I also want to assure you that today I've not been upset when a food has become something I can no longer eat. I just accept it. It just is. My spiritual relationship has also been progressive, right? And so to avoid a relapse, one must continue to understand this is permanent and that in order to keep ahead of the progressive illness, the spiritual connection must continue to progress and strengthen too, right? So I have to grow even more today reliant on my relationship with my creator than I was six years ago. Today, my reliance on God is increasing because I believe that my disease is also increasing. I'm told it's progressive. And the only chance I have is a connection with the power. So that must continue to strengthen as well. I can't do what I did yesterday. I can't. I actually have to increase it. I have to, I have to grow in my spiritual life. Um, you know, another reason why I picked up was that I believed that my problem was entirely a food problem, right? I thought that eliminate the alcoholic food, eliminate the problem. And I failed to understand the most essential piece of information, right? And then there's a solution on page 23. It says, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. So I knew I had a problem once I ate certain foods. I had years of experience to inform me, and yet I seemed to have no ability to call upon this experience to keep me in check, right? And on page 24, it says, we are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force, the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. The almost certainty of the almost certain consequences that follow taking even a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind to deter us. If these thoughts occur, they are hazy and readily supplanted with the old threadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. There is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. So why did I relapse, right? Because I suffer from food senility. I barely remember, barely remember, just how bad it gets. It's hazy. It's like, it's like a distant memory that it, I know somewhere it gets bad. I just can't remember it so intensely. And I can't remember just how dangerous certain foods and behaviors are for me. And here's the crazy thing. I have an awesome memory. I'm, I've, I've got a great memory. Um, 
when it comes to certain things and a, a great memory and painful consequences are easily recalled in other areas, right? And actually painful consequences are a really good way of shaping people's behavior. And that's why rewards and punishments are like super motivators for people it, and animals, right? By the way, people and animals, we really do well. Um, it's behavior modification. These are, this is part of what it is. Reward, punishment, reward, punishment. Um, it's a powerful tool and it works great. Except for me, it doesn't work where food is concerned. Nope, not where food is concerned. You know, and so I, I a good way that I can explain it is on, on my daily commute, I, um, I travel down the New York State Thruway and there's, there's a spot where um, I know that there's a speed trap, right? That's where the, that's where the um, cops hide. There's like this little underpass and I can drive down the thruway. I can be speeding down the road. Um, I haven't even been pulled over by those cops, by the way, but I've seen other people get pulled over. And so I have the ability to rely upon my memory of consequences that didn't even impact me. But what happens is I drive down the highway and about a quarter mile away from that spot, maybe a little less, my memory says, up, oh, slow down. You know they're here, slow down, slow down. And I just, right, I just like let go of the gas a little bit. I just slow down, I pay closer attention. I make sure I'm not in the left lane. I do all those things. I can use my memory when I need it. I can use it at a time when it can help me avoid the danger, right? Can't do that with food. Can't do that with food. In fact, I don't remember the painful consequence of the first bite until the food is in my mouth, right? That, and even then, I say things like, here's, here's what I would say. Oh, I, I'm just, just a little out of control right now, or it's just a little bit extra, or, you know, it's, it's, it's okay. Like I've been, I've been, I've been good. I've been good for so long. Like there's a morality issue here. Um, and I make it to the point where um, now, you know, once now, because I have an allergy, once I take it in, even in that nonchalant way, I cannot predict what happens, right? And sometimes it wasn't immediate. Sometimes I would overeat something or eat something alcoholic and it wasn't immediate. So I thought, oh yeah, no, 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 I got this. I got this. But add yet, because two days later, right, I was doing it again. And then it was, and then all bets were off. Within a few days, all bets are off. And then what would happen is the idea of, well, I may as well really go all out there because I've already eaten it and I'll start on Monday, right? I'll start on Monday. And that is the belief that Monday I will have power, choice, and control again.
right? Which lets me, you know, there I am back again, thinking I can control it. I might not be controlling it today, but my disease says, oh, that's your decision. You're deciding not to control it today. And tomorrow you'll be able to decide to control it. And um, no, I can't, right? Because I'm an addict. And, you know, like they say, um, it's like dancing with a gorilla. The gorilla decides when you're done, not you don't decide when you're done dancing. Right. And, you know, so my memory fails to keep me in check. I cannot rely on my memory. Right. So now my second relapse now. So that 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 took me out and it took me out for a long time. Um, and in between, I didn't want to go back to Overeaters Anonymous because they were way too rigid for me. I did not. I didn't want to. And that was really it. I did not want to. I wanted to do every other way instead. And I did every single other way instead um, over and over and over and over and over again, because I'm stubborn um, and I, I'm, I, I can withstand a good beating. I've got a really high pain threshold, apparently, because I go back for more and more and more. So Really, that was years and years. And I thought, you know, at my top weight, before that point, I was 280 pounds. But by the time I came back again, two kids later, I was over 300 pounds, right? And um, and in and, and, and misery again, right? And now fast forward, right? My second relapse. So now I'm working a program of recovery and my second relapse happened about 20 years later. And this time I understood, I knew more than I needed a personality change. I knew there was something about more than just the food. I knew there was something off with the way that I thought. I knew it. And yet there were pieces that were missing from my understanding and from my program that are needed in order to have the personality change. You know, entire abstinence and complete willingness to do every aspect of the steps in order to form a relationship with power. I did not have a clue about this relationship. And I didn't grasp that this entire program, by the way, is based on this relationship. That's the whole program. That this idea that I must have a connection with a higher power. You know, if you remember years ago when I was younger, no thought of God. In fact, I didn't even, I missed that word. Somehow I came to Overeaters Anonymous and missed the word God. Just didn't see it, didn't see it. Um, and now I came back again and I still failed to grasp that my entire program, the entire thing was gonna be based on this higher power. I thought that I could rely on fellowship and the food plan. I knew that the food plan was important and now I was gonna add in just fellowship. Um, and by the way, if you leave God out of the 12 steps, you have nothing. You've got nothing. I heard someone say, um, and I thought this was so smart. I heard it this week on, the meet, on a meeting on vision. That OA without God is like a life preserver without that stuff inside that keeps you afloat right? That's OA without God. And so take that out and you got like, a, like what? Scraps of fabric holding it together and it can't keep me afloat, right? And taking out what you want 
and leaving the rest doesn't apply to the clear-cut directions, and it certainly doesn't apply to God. Take what you want and leave the rest applies to other people's opinions, right? It applies to opinions. So, um, so if I say something today that is an opinion, yeah, you can leave it. I'm not, right? I, I'm, if it comes from the book, no, you can't. If it's straight from the book, you can't. Um, that part you can't leave. Um, so I began working the steps. Like, so what happened for me was I began working the steps and I lost weight again, which was always my first priority. But it wasn't quite as quick <laughs> as when I was in my early 20s. It slowed down. It slows way down. And, um, but I did lose weight and I was not too sold on the God idea. But I wanted to get well enough to entertain that there was a possibility. And that, that was good because that did keep me hanging around. Um, but I think I failed to understand three crucial things. So I want to kind of zero in on that. One, that I needed to find my, the, my way into the loving arms of my creator, right? I needed that. And only an act of providence, a miracle from God, could relieve me of the merciless obsession. No human power. And I was looking for human power. That's not strong enough, right? So that's like a word of warning. If you're relying on human beings, human power, warning, warning, warning. You know, two, I really had a very severe allergy and that it was more than just sugar, right? We're not sugars anonymous, right? We're overeaters anonymous. It's more than just sugar. And I've since learned that I have to be entirely abstinent, entirely, 100%. And this included many foods and behaviors that had nothing to do with weight loss and caloric value, right? So for me, it had things, it had to do with gum, right? It had to do with diet sodas, no caloric, no caloric value there, but those things, those substances kept me chained to my compulsion, compulsion just the same. And so did certain types of eating, certain ways that I ate also kept me chained to compulsive overeating. Certain food behaviors kept me chained to compulsive overeating. Um, and that if I do those things, I am not by definition 100% abstinent, right? That's, that's my experience, that's my truth. Um, three, I had to work all aspects of the steps, all of it, including getting entirely honest with someone about resentments I had and some amends I needed to make. And, and so again, how did I learn this from my experience? Um, so here's my second relapse experience. I went away with my family on a beautiful family vacation to Disney World. And I and notice there's two similarities, right? Going away for many people is, is a time when we're at a little more at risk. And yet I've been away, by, by the way, I wanna tell you many, many, many times recovered 
and have not had a need or desire to do anything sloppy or undisciplined or whatever you want to call it with the food. I have been 100% abstinent and from Texas to Florida, to Chicago, to camping, wherever I've gone since I take full responsibility for my food. So although going away was where it happened, going away is not the reason why I relapsed. No way. I, I, you know, we're supposed to be able to go in the world, right? And if we look at Bill, right, he traveled, he was a traveling salesman and he traveled. And when he was at his, you know, really bad predicament, he picked up the phone and he got busy helping someone. And so we know that we can travel and we can absolutely be abstinent traveling. Um, but what happened for me was that I did go away on a family with my family on a beautiful family vacation to Disney World. And it was a lovely time. My kids were little and, and we had a great time and I was um, some, somewhat abstinent. Now there's the, there's the problem, right? The somewhat. Food was pretty much in check. Notice I said pretty much, right? And was I entirely abstinent? Nope, 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 I wasn't. But I wasn't out of control yet, right? Dot, 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 yet. Um, I was eating three meals, pretty sane, and I was enjoying this time. I was having a great time. I was writing down, by the way, I was writing down what I ate because that was human power. And I still write down what I eat, right? I was writing down what I ate on paper and on paper, it didn't sound so bad. But this is the denial of this disease because I could write on paper that I ate yogurt, oatmeal, and fruit, right? Which is what I, like, I eat that for breakfast. And let me tell you, the yogurt, oatmeal, and fruit that I ate there does not resemble yogurt, oatmeal, and fruit that I eat today. Wasn't even close. And you know that uh, oatmeal out could pretty much be cookies. It, it's pretty close to eating cookies. It's warm hot cookies in a bowl, right? And that oatmeal is with lots of stuff in it or that that yogurt with lots of stuff in it is almost pudding. It's like, it's not yogurt. And and by the way, the fruit wasn't really fruit either. I don't know what it was, but, but on paper, it sounded really good. And so um, I was eating in that kind of way and it was filled with dishonesty and it lacked clarity. And I would insist, by the way, at that point in my life, I would insist that there was something wrong with a program that was so rigid that demanded more than that, right? I would say, oh, that those people are so rigid, um, you know, like I was so superior to them. Um, and I was also not living the steps and I failed to clear up the resentments I failed to clear up the fears and harms that were too difficult. And I also back then loved the idea of the peeling onion. And if I didn't wanna peel it yet, then I didn't, right? It was like, mm, I'll peel that at a later date. And, um, and I could live in the fantasy of someday. Someday I'll face that. Someday I'll deal with that. And today I still love the idea of the peeling onion but I'm willing to have God help me peel it, 
when God reveals something to me that I have to let go of, that then the layer comes off. And I don't say today, someday, like if I feel um, God's will communicating it to me, then I, then I may ask for the strength to live in agreement with it, but I do the next right action. So that's very different. I could take the same concept of that peeling onion and one, I could manipulate it just like I could take the same concept of abstinence and writing a food plan down and manipulate it. Right. And so honesty is essential if you want to recover and if you want to get out of relapse, right. Clarity and honesty. And so what happened for me on this trip, I picked up here. It's crazy. The exact same thing that I picked up 20 years ago on my honeymoon. Same thing. I picked up a frozen tropical drink. And what happened was I was, didn't do it on the Disney world part of the trip because I was busy with my kids being mom, right? We were busy being parents, good mom, but my mom lives in Florida. And so for the second part of the trip, my husband and I brought the kids to my mom's and we took a trip further down to, um, um, oh my gosh, I can't think of the name of the place now, the Keys, right? Key West. And there I picked up a beautiful frozen tropical drink and it wasn't because I was unhappy. It really, it wasn't. It was because I had been quietly, subtly, consistently ingesting my allergic foods. And at the moment when I was ripe, that strange mental blank spot, I could not remember with sufficient force that, that frozen tropical drinks kill me, kill me. I can never do that. And by the way, I also learned that alcohol of any form at all for me is alcohol. It's, it's any form at all is alcohol. And, um, and I know that we're Overeaters Anonymous, not Alcoholics Anonymous, but I'm just, um, anything that I take in my body in a recreational fashion will hurt me. It will hurt me, right? I can't, I can't use um, alcohol. It, it, I don't need, I, trust me, I don't need something that's going to like lower my inhibitions and dull my senses and lower my resolve to unwind. If I need to unwind today, I know I've got other ways that I can unwind, relax, chill out, and it does not include alcohol. Um, and I also can't, I won't, I won't sponsor someone who's still drinking because it, 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 um, creates a blockage between finding out real information. And that is my opinion. So that you can, that you can, that you can do with as you want, but I figured I would just say it, um, you know, and so um, I picked up that frozen tropical drink, which led me right back into the food. And I never though, here's the weird thing. That was 11 years ago at that point right? It was 11 years ago that I came into Overeaters Anonymous. This part was um, eight years ago that this happened, that I fell back in and I, and I, um, and I've been entirely abstinent and it's, it's seven years now. So, um, and although crazy thing is I've never again, outright picked up a cookie, right? Or a candy bar, but I found lookalikes. And I ate those lookalikes in alcoholic ways. And, um, you know, and 
you could do, I could do a lot of damage on things that are bars that aren't candy bars. Any bar is a bar, right? If it's, you can call it a kind bar, you can call it a cereal bar, you can call it whatever. For me, it was was my way of getting cookies and chocolate and candy, but I loved, part of the relapse is it lives in the obscurity. So I like things that are called innocuous names, right? That give me the same effect. And I think that must be a common thread because I, those things are crowding the market. Um, and, and, you know, somehow if you put a granola bar in your kid's lunchbox, by the way, and it's made of chocolate caramel and pretzels and other things, you feel like you're, I feel like, oh, I'm a good mom, <laughs> right? But because it's not a Snickers bar, but it's the same thing. And so that, that's for me, that's the, that's part of a relapse is believing being a, being a sucker, being a complete sucker, happily believing things that I know are not true. And I'm a smart girl and I've always been a smart girl. So, um, on that beautiful August day with my husband, I picked up that frozen tropical drink and it took me until the following February to admit I was in relapse and to come back into the rooms, right? Oh, I was in relapse, but I certainly wasn't gonna say it. And I wasn't gonna come back into the rooms because I didn't want to come back having gained weight. I didn't, I had no humility. I did not want to come back um, not being the victor. I wanted to come back in the champion, you know? And so what can I suggest today? What is it? What's, what's the direction here? One, entire abstinence, no wiggle room or areas left up to interpretation. There is no interpretation. It is, it is, or it isn't. Two, working the steps and living them with intensity. All of them. That fourth step where I finally put it all down on paper, peel that onion, right? The fifth step where I got 100% honest, transparent with another person, said the thing that I didn't want to say out loud. I said it. It came out of my mouth. I said it. I needed to say it. I needed to tell the truth. And then in the ninth step, I made the amends that I thought I could never make. The one that I thought, no way, cannot do it. Um, I did it. I did it. And um, those are the steps we take to solidify the relationship with our creator. That's what I needed to, to like, marry myself to this power to make my, you know, to make myself attached to this power. I needed to do those things. And, you know, each of those things removed the shackles of the food. They just kept removing the shackles. And it gave me that spiritual relationship that strengthens and progresses, which is needed to keep ahead of the disease because the disease is also progressive in nature. And I said before, my only chance is that my spiritual relationship progresses as well, Three, if I want to have immunity, then I must work with others. In the big book, chapter seven, working with others, nothing 
will so much as ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with others. It works when other activities fail. This is our 12th suggestion. Carry this message to other alcoholics. You can help when no one else can. This is why I know, right? When I'm asked to help, I know I need to say yes. Like that has to be my go-to word, yes. Um, giving service is a big part of preventing relapse. Um, it's a big part of getting recovered. It's like, as soon as your foot is in the door, you've got to start putting other people first. It's, it's essential. And I think it's crucial to stress right from the, from the start that this is a we fellowship, right? It is a we fellowship. It is a 12 step program, not an 11 step program. So if someone has gone through the steps and is not sponsoring, then they're not strengthening their spiritual connection and they're only working an 11 step program, which is not what we need. We need 12 steps. Our spiritual development is relying on self-sacrifice and intensive work with others. Not convenient, not convenient. You know, so when I spend hours with, with somebody going over there, their, their inventory, right? When I go over their fifth step with them. Um, yes, it's to be of loving service. It is, but it's for me. It is for me. It is my, it's my inoculate. It's my inoculate, It's my immunity. It's the injection I take. I need to do it. Um, it it's essential. I, I know it. And I know that every time I do this type of work with people, intensive work, um, I'm further away from eating. I'm further and further away from eating. I'm not, you know, I'm not interested in extra food. Doesn't call my name. Um, you know, someone takes something out of the refrigerator. I don't have that feeling like, oh my God, it's not going to be enough. Even if it's a food that I can eat, right? I don't have that sensation anymore. And that I didn't remove on my own. That was removed for me. I don't have the power to remove that feeling that existed in me as a little girl. I, I didn't have it then and I don't have it now, but I know that intensive work with others, that's the medicine that removes that piece for me. Um, you know, how can someone come back then after a relapse, right? It, I think it's not much different than anyone coming in who has yet to have a spiritual awakening, right? Um, the difficulty with those of us who have had some sort of a some sort of a spiritual coming to is that we lack humility, right? You think I lacked the humility to say that it wasn't good enough. That's sometimes what people actually have to be willing to say. You know what? What I had, I relapsed. It wasn't good enough. It wasn't enough. No, I don't need to get back to what I had before then. I actually need to get something better than what I had then because what I had then did not keep me in check. It failed to keep me in check. I think 
for me, I didn't want to say that I was out of control again. I wanted to believe that I had made some progress in my addiction. I didn't think I was quite as bad as I was when I had first come in. And people will often say that they feel like they're not as desperate. And so it's not a relapse per se, but more of a loosening of the disciplines. And I think there's almost a superstitious belief that if they identify it as an actual relapse, then they may as well go out completely and give it one last big hurrah, right? And with this thought in mind, there enters the old familiar fantasy of that one more last goodbye, right? The idea that I'll do the dance with the gorilla one last time and then I'll get it back together. And you know, I'm gonna go out and go crazy and I might as well get it all out of my system. And so if that's my thinking, then I'm certainly in worse shape than I thought. One, because I have attempted to control the obsession with labels, meaning recovery versus relapse, that's a label. And that I'm still fantasizing about food and the belief that I can control when and how long I can binge. And so another problem with coming back after relapse is our pride is at stake. And pride is an obstacle to God. Having too much pride is an obstacle. It's a blockage to God. I did not want to come back into the rooms of OA having gained weight. I wanted to come back the victor. But once I honestly humbled myself, I was able to take step one again. Really take it for the first time, admitting complete powerlessness and unreservedly letting go, right, of the opinions of others. Like I had to let go that somebody at a meeting might have an opinion that, oh, Melissa gained weight again. Melissa got that, right? I had to let go of that in order to like give God the invitation to step in and help me. And so for someone who's out there having a relapse, if you're listening, humility, having the humility, invite God in. You can do it like immediate. And what happens is the second you do it, you know, God, this power is wonderful. It does come flooding in. Once I did it, I couldn't believe, by the way, once I admitted that I was really in deep trouble, I, I recovered in record time. It was seemed like, like that. And I know, I see people nodding their heads. They cannot believe how quickly it can happen, right? Once you really fully take the step, once you really take that first step. So um, with that, I'm going to pass and thank you. And mm. Thank you so much, Melissa. Th that was, um, that was wonderful. Um, uh, thank you so much. I gotta, I gotta get, okay, here we go. Thank you. Um, as we segue into the next portion of this meeting, I'd like everyone to please note that the meeting's being recorded and by speaking, you're giving permission to have your voice on the recording, just the audio. For the next portion of this meeting, there's no sharing. Instead, we ask questions of the speaker. Please remember that the opinions of the speaker are their own and do not reflect OA as a whole. 
The meeting is now open for questions. To do so, you may raise your hand or if you wish to ask it anonymously, you can private chat to um, either myself or Lori and uh, we will read it to you. Also, please note that we're gonna use the chat as a we care list. So people have already started to do so, but please um, leave your name, your contact information, if you're an available sponsor or you're seeking a sponsor or if you're available for outreach or um, are just looking for sponsors or a fellowship. So at this time of the meeting, we're open for questions. I see, um, forgive me if I mispronounce, Leah, I see your hand is raised. Would you like to unmute and share? You did it. That is- Oh, perfect. great. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was such an incredible, um, incredible, incredibly necessary uh, message to hear today. And I just want to know, you talked about, um, you know, writing down your foods and how, um, <laughs> how you could, you know, there, there wasn't clarity in that. And I just want to know in your recovery today, what the clarity with your food, between your food and your sponsor and your higher power looks like, like, is it photos or is it that you do measuring or like, how do you get that clarity today so that you keep your higher power coming in your life as opposed to resorting to food? Like we all want to do in a relapse. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. So the clarity for me and my food, first of all, I mean, the funny thing is, is yeah, I eat yogurt, oatmeal and berries every morning. And when I say yogurt, it's actually yogurt. It is plain, you know, um, I, I'm my clarity. First of all, I'm clear. I'm clear. I'm honest with myself. Right. I think that's, um, I, you know, I'm not deceiving myself. I'm not calling something, something else. Um, I, I write down, I still write down specifically what I'm going to eat for the day um, with, with measurements pretty much next to it. I measure. Um, I just have to. That just works for me. Most of the food I eat, um, some things I don't have to measure, but majority of what goes in my body, I need to measure. Um, I, in the morning, part of my daily practice is because I have to have a spiritual connection um, that's the first part before having a food plan, right? I worship a creator. I spend time in prayer and meditation. At the end of that time, I write down specifically what I'm going to eat for the day because I'm always looking. I need God's help, right? I need an act of providence. And so at the end of my prayer and meditation is when I write down specifically what I'm going to eat for the day. And I send it over to my sponsor. I just whoop. Um, I, and then I feel like if ever God was communicating to me what I should be putting in my body, I'm open to hearing it at that moment. Now, later on in the day, if I'm looking to make changes of my own decision, I'm pretty sure it's not God anymore. I'm pretty sure it's Melissa saying, mm, I don't like that choice. I think I'm going to choose something different. And sometimes I live in reality. I mean, the, the truth is, is that I don't worship the plan. So sometimes, you know, my husband will be like, mm, nope, I took out this for dinner, you know, and oh, okay. You know, I have to like have some, some flexibility for the people I live with if, if as long as it's my absolute food. Right. And then I, I just report it to my sponsor because I cannot have secrets between me and, and the food. 
Um, the secrets is like that foot in the door. Um, I also found that I read ingredients. Like I'm not pretending something isn't there. That's there. I know what I know what's in my food. Um, and you know, actually what I found out is that most of the foods for me that are not alcoholic don't have a list of ingredients on the back. They just, they, they have like one thing. They, they are what they are, right? They are what they are. So if I say I'm having carrots, it's a carrot, right? Um, and that, that for me is like clarity. That's like part of my clarity. Thanks. Thank you for the question, Leah. Melissa, I have a question in chat. Do you have advice for starting to work with a new sponsee who has a history of repeated relapse? Yeah, I think most of us, that's what we, we all have repeated relapse, I think, because that's, remember, it's part of the disease, not part of the recovery. It is part of the disease. Um, I would say, you know, for the person who's helping that person um, is to look at it as like a brand new, brand new, together, brand new, forget, you know, and constantly when, when I've worked with someone who says, well, in the past, this is what I've done. And I found that was helpful. I'm, I might, mm, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, we're not going <laughs> to, let's put that aside, <laughs> right? I think it's a constant reminder that we have to have an open mind always an open mind and a new experience that that set aside prayer for for both parties like let's set aside because if it was so effective it would have it would have kept you in check but it failed to keep you in check therefore let's not do what you did before in fact let's 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 put that aside entirely right and let's move forward let's let's pretend have a clean start always a clean start thanks Thank you, Melissa. Um, Melissa G texted me that she would like to ask a question. Would you unmute, please? Thanks, Melissa. Yes. Hey. So when you said your second relapse started with the same frozen drink and you're with your spouse, is he like holding his breath? Like, here we go again. Does he say anything? How do you work with that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you know what? I laugh because I think like, oh, God, we put our families through torture, you know, like, um, I don't know, part of him, because I was like, you know, messing around with other stuff anyway, there's no clarity for the people around us, right? And, um, and, and, and so like his, his experience with living with me was, I would make these my poor family, I would make these declarations, these um, statements that I'm never eating blank again, get it out of the house. Demands, throwing it out, don't eat it in front of me, don't you dare, don't you, don't you wanna help me, right? I would like rid the house of everything. And then mm, within a few days or a week, I'm eating it again, but now I'm eating it outside the house. I'm sneaking it. Like now I'm sneaking it. And then eventually I can't sneak it anymore. I'm bringing it back in the house and God help him if he says anything to me, right? It's like, I made him swear that he would never let me eat this again. Please, if you ever see me eat this again, stop me. Don't let me, don't let me, don't let me. And as soon as I ate it again and he said something, holy crap, 
I would kill him. I would be like, you don't love me. You know, you should accept me as I am. And like, you, we make these people insane. They're supposed to, what are they supposed to do? So I, you know what? I don't know exactly what he was. He might've been thinking, give her a drink. She's making me crazy, right? He probably was. Um, and he might still be thinking that, I'm, you know, um, you know, I think if he saw me eat some, I think he would, he would get nervous today. He'd be like, yeah, I think it would scare the life out of him because he's been, he's been through it with me. Yeah. But he's not responsible. Right. Yeah. Thank he you. Not, mm -mm, he is not responsible for any piece of my recovery. None of it. That is my job. My job. Yep. Thank you for the question, Melissa. Thank you for the answer, Melissa. Um, I got in chat within about five seconds of each other, a question almost identical. Um, can you please speak about behaviors that you abstain from? Give some examples or behaviors that others you hear that abstain from yourself and or others. Thank you. Okay, so um, behaviors that abstain from eating off of other people's plates. That was like a big one for me. I was, you know, having like young kids when I came in, um, the thought of throwing away food, I was like the human garbage. So that was like a big one. Um, eating, eating in front of the TV. I don't eat in front of the TV, eating in front of, um, you know, eating at the movies, eating for me, I eat at the kitchen table. I have to eat in a chair, sitting down like a human being, like a lady, right? Um, with something to drink, with a napkin, a plate, that's my food, right? Um, alcoholic food behaviors is eating like um, family style, right? I have to plate my food. I plate my food. There it is, it's, um, it's on my plate. Um, I was going to say eating in the car. That one was a bad one for a while. Um, if I, if I'm traveling someplace and I pack my lunchbox, right. And it's my weight and measured food. Um, then I can eat it while traveling. I, that's okay. Um, yeah, I don't eat, um, I'm trying to think what else alcoholic baby in front of the computer, which is like right now, especially because I'm my whole life, I'm teaching this on this platform. Um, and I often, you know, have a break and, and, um, I want to get something done work-wise. I actually have to not do that. I have to get up, go into the other room, leave it, eat, come back. Thank you um, for the question. Melissa, I have another question from chat. What has your experience been with specific ingredients that you ex abstain from and or common ones for others? Thank you. Okay. Um, so yeah, I abstain from all sugar. I do abstain from all sugar um, in its various forms. So I, I read labels. I don't eat fructose, sucrose, glucose, you know, anything with the O's is warning, 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 it's sugar. Um, I don't eat artificial 
sweetened stuff either. I don't eat, um, I, I do eat fruit. I'll have a piece of fruit, but I don't eat um, aspartame or whatever, whatever that other stuff is. I don't eat that. Um, I don't eat, um, you know, I mean, like this is like food plan stuff, but I don't eat, I don't eat flour in any form, whether it's wheat flour or rice flour or, now that might not be a problem for other people. That is a problem for me, right? Any flour in any form at all. Um, I have like certain other foods that I noticed, I just can't eat them. Like I don't do well with potatoes, so I don't eat them. Now, not everybody has that experience, but they just can't do potatoes and I don't do rice and I don't do pastas, um, but I can have beans, right? And I can have corn. So I just noticed there's certain foods, if I weigh and measure it, I feel comfortable and satisfied. Um, I don't eat um, certain fat content, right? So my yogurt is like either fat-free or 2%. I wouldn't have like whole yogurt. Um, I don't, yeah, if I have like dairy of any kind, I thought I would have milk, but yeah, I guess that would really be it. I don't, and I don't eat any cheese. That was like the last, uh, that was the last goodbye <laughs> to date, to date. That was the last one that I noticed it just, um, and it wasn't, I mean, here's like the incredible thing about having a, a spiritual, a relationship with power was I was at a function and um, I was at the buffet um, that I was figuring that was, it was the, the cocktail hour, whatever. And I figured that's where my dinner was going to be because I knew what was being served wasn't. And I figured I could have veggies and I knew that they would have like a cheese platter out. And I, I could tell that there was something getting lit up inside me that just felt like, and for me, the, you know, the good indicator that a food is not okay for me is can I, can I look at what a recommended portion is, right? This is always like a good indication, I would say to people, look at the label, see what they say, the serving sizes, measure it out, put it on your plate and see how you feel about that. Um, the serving size of broccoli never upsets me. Serving size of olive oil, measuring it, doesn't, doesn't upset me. Serving size of yogurt doesn't bother me. Fruit doesn't doesn't get me aggravated. Serving size of pasta, I like want to scream. That's a joke. Serving size of cheese, it turns out. I was like, oh my God, no, that's not enough for me. Didn't feel like it was enough for me. And I noticed that it was warming its way into more than one meal, right? So I was using it for a protein in this meal and then a fat in that meal. And hey, if I don't have the fat and I don't have the protein, maybe it could be both. And that's where I like can feel like there's something not quite right in that particular food for me. So those are some indications um, of foods. And uh, I think that's, I think that's about it with the foods that, that I found out. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Um, again, from chat, you mentioned that when you were on gray sheet, abstinence became your higher power. How can you tell if you are just being careful and exact with your food measurements, or if you have crossed that line and started worshiping your food plan or your abstinence? That's a good question. So my food plan and my abstinence is bottom line. 
right? It is, it's the foot in the door, but that cannot be the focus of my day. If I am sitting here in front of you right now, totally thinking about, do I have enough blank downstairs? Did I measure it out appropriately? Oh my God. Like my, my focus, my energies, my emphasis has to be on deepening a spiritual relationship. It has to be on improving myself as, as a human being. Like, you know, so I think about like, how am I as a mom, right? If I'm more concerned with what I'm having for dinner tonight than how I'm showing up as a mom, I'm worshiping a food plan, right? If, how am I as, as a fellow, if I'm more concerned with portions and amounts and ingredients than I am with being a loving member of Overeaters Anonymous. That's, that's a problem. You know, if, if I'm on a meeting and somebody is talking about difficulty in their abstinence and I go right away to a vein of judgment, right? And well, what are they eating? Do they eat that? Oh, no wonder why they're out of abstinent rather than how can I be useful, right? I'm worshiping a food plan. Um, my, my relationships with human beings, with God, has to be more important, right, than measuring and weighing what other people are eating, measuring and weighing what I eat. What I eat is what I eat. It's clear. Um, but it's not all I think about. It's not all I talk about, you know, when, when, when I'm on a meeting or when I'm sharing, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, if I ask, I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest, but when I share, I'm not going to talk to you about where sugar is on the list of ingredients. That to me is worship a food plate. I would hope that my message is more powerful than that. I would hope I'd have something more profound to say than, than, reading a list of ingredients. I don't know. Hope that's helpful. Thank you. Um, I don't have any other question in chat and I don't see any hand ra hands raised. So um, I would encourage people to, but I actually um, would love to hear you speak a little bit more. You, you spoke at the end about um, humility and a leveling of pride. And um, when I think about both getting out of relapse, avoiding relapse, there's a connection to um, what, what you're talking about. Uh, 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 how, do you, how do you access the humility and the leveling of pride in a place that doesn't go to self-flagellation or beating oneself up or the kind of thing that, that makes speaking for myself, me want to run into the food. Like how can the humility be, be kind and loving while still effective and honest? So one sounds more like um, self-pity, right? Like if I'm, if I go to like that place of beating myself up, you know, there's a difference between saying I'm a piece of crap. I can't believe I did this. I am so, I am so bad. I am so, this is horrible, you know, to where um, I'm, I'm struggling in this area. I need help. 
that's very different. That, that feels very different. One is an invitation to be helped. And one is closing the door that I am beyond help. I'm helpless. And we're not helpless, right? And, um, you know, so humility, I mean, for me, what happened, uh, you know, what brought me back in after relapse was I was actually in Home Depot, not Home Depot, Lowe's, and my husband was going to do some work. He was going to fix the bathroom in um, one of our bathrooms upstairs. And I happened to go with him and I was walking down an aisle and I saw a woman from my Cornwall meeting, my face-to-face meeting, who I hadn't seen in a long time because I hadn't been coming to meetings. And by the way, I usually avoided her because she was really um, disciplined and thin. How's that? (laughs) She was disciplined and thin. And I asked her once for help. And when I told her something about, I told her, it was funny. I told her something about alcohol. She said, Oh, I wouldn't do that. Oh no, I wouldn't do that. And I was like, Oh, I'm never calling that woman again. Right. She was like the last on my list. Um, and what happened was, you know, like, God met me in Lowe's because I was in Lowe's and there she was down the next aisle. And I had been eating. I was a mess. And, you know, humility was, uh, my feet walked my walked me there. I didn't walk me there. My feet walked me there. And out of my mouth, this was humility. I said, help me. I was like, it was unplanned. It was, I mean, I could, I could cry because um, that was humility. That, that's what it means to be hum- humble. I asked for help from someone I didn't really want help from because I knew what she was going to say. Um, and I asked her for help. And what she, what she said, I did. What she said, I was like, I did without, without saying, well, before when I worked it with so-and-so, she let me do that. Mm-mm. I didn't do that. I didn't bring out what I did before. I didn't like, I didn't come to her with how smart I was, what I knew. I just asked her for help and I accepted what she said as, okay, that's what I'll do. Right. Yeah. Thank you. I have um, Sharon L. After that, I have Jane A. And after that, I have a question from chat. Sharon, would you please unmute and ask your question? Thank you. Hi, hi, thank you very much for your share. Really, really got a lot from it and for your service. Um, I just wondered, um, you've, you've sort of answered that at the beginning of your questions, but it's slightly different thing. It, a sponsee who is very honest, honest with herself, um, but is not getting any sustained abstinence, having a week, two, three, four weeks, um, not sponsoring after a year. How would you deal with somebody like that? I mean, I wasn't always sponsoring her. I'm, um, I've gone back to sponsoring, sponsoring her. And, you know, I just sort of feel that she has to move on. And I don't really know. Um, she is doing steps. She is, she is very, very, um, meticulous and careful about so many things but then she picks up something that she shouldn't really have or that she knows she shouldn't have she's not in denial that she's nearly abstinent but I don't know how to deal with her yeah yeah so um 
when someone is struggling, right, when they pick up, um, one of the things that I've done with people is like we create a willingness list. And it'd be a good time. Like we're told um, we work with them when they when they pick up. We work with them, not on them, not for them, but with them. And um, so I would create together, that person would really be doing the creating of a willingness list, all the things, because willingness is the key that unlocks the door, right? And um, and so I've got to, I've got to like, I've got to build on her willingness. And so I, we would create a list of all the things she is willing to do when the food starts calling. Um, and I... We make that list long. We make it thorough. It always includes prayer. Um, it can be ridiculous. It could be whatever it is. It's something that just gets you out of you, um, so that you can so that you can focus on the work of the steps. Now, and then I take that willingness list. I tell them take that willingness list and put it everywhere, everywhere, on your refrigerator, on your cabinets on your cookie jar, on the dashboard of your car, on the home screen of your phone, whatever you have to do, put it everywhere um, and utilize it. Don't stick it in your, in your journal and utilize it. So when the food calls you, you've gotta, you've gotta go to that list and do the everything on that list before you pick up the food. Um, and I would ask her, you, uh, how do you feel about, you know, will you do that? Will you do that? And um, if she's, if she won't, right, if she says, well, I don't want to hang that up, I'll be embarrassed. Okay, then it's her pride. It's lack of humility that's getting in the way of her asking for help, because I should have no shame about hanging it everywhere where I am, right? And, um, and not that, look, that's human power. That's human power. So the other thing I was going to say is, while, while she's completely willing and doing anything on there, um, there's a few other things I would say. One is hospitalization period is always, you know, is a strong suggestion. And that doesn't mean going into a treatment facility, but that means your, her recovery is first and foremost before anything else. So it means other things are put aside as if she were in a treatment facility. Right, so um, there's no going out to eat for a while if that's where no eating in other people's homes, no like like really being very rigid and diligent. Something else that I would tell someone is then um, because if she's having difficulty, it means she needs more support, not less support. And support could look like more structure because support is structure, right? That's what a support is. So it would be, um, I would say on that list would be, text me before you eat, text me when you're done. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, and it's a lot of control. It is a lot of those self-imposed controls at the same time so that you're not worshiping the disciplines, working the steps with intensity. I wonder how long it's taking her to, to work her steps. She's got to be, we got to move consistently with intensity. Um, yeah, I hope that's helpful. Thank you. 
Um, Jane A is next. Then I have a question in chat. Otherwise, if people would like to raise their hands or send other questions, Jane, please unmute and ask your question. Thank you. Hi, Jane, recovering in this program. Melissa, thank you so much. Um, what an incredible topic today. And thank you. I, I've, I've heard your story, but I heard parts of it today that I just identified in even more. Um, I know I can ask you this on the side, but for the benefit of the group, you mentioned that when you first got abstinent the first time that weight, the weight loss was just instant. And, um, and then you, you talked about later that it was a lot slower and having such a deep dieting background and that just being like a part of my wiring, like worrying about the numbers. And I, I, I know you recommend weighing, uh, not every day, uh, when, when we talked, but how did you stay focused on your recovery and not the weight in those early days of your hospitalization period and not get deterred when it maybe wasn't going like it did before? Yeah, that's a good question. I actually, I had to lose the scale. I had to get rid of it. Not, not the scale that measures my food, but the scale that was measuring my body because it was, it was getting in the way. Um, one of the things that I would say that, that helped me was, um, I was going to let God be in charge of the reshaping of my body and that it was no longer going to be my business, that I was really going to give it over to my higher power, that it was, and, and because, you know, what we're promised is to grow in usefulness and effectiveness, not in skinniness and beauty, right? That's a bonus. If you get, if you get thinner, um, that's a nice plus, but that's not what we're promised. We're promised effectiveness and usefulness. And so I had to say, and I would say to you, um, your goal is to be useful. Your goal is to be helpful. And God will determine the best physical form for you to be the most useful that Jane could be today. Right. And I think that there was, you know, there was some benefit for me, for others in my slower weight loss. Right. It, it, um, maybe it made me more approachable. Maybe it made me more humble. Maybe it made, you know, I think actually, I always say to people, um, I, I hope that you have a spiritual awakening before you have your weight goal. I do. Because I think if I didn't, um, why would I need this? If I got, if I thought I got there on my own without getting all the way through, I might think I don't quite need this so much. Um, and, you know, and the other thing I would say is get in the business of loving yourself today, right? That that is forget your weight. That if I am, if I am a child of God, of this awesome creator, how dare I take this creation and feel anything other than happy about it? Whatever imperfection it has, it's, you know, it's the addict to me that, that is given a gift of this body, treats it like garbage, and then treats it nice for two days and is pissed off that it doesn't look like a prize, right? And I think that's a lack of lack of gratitude to my creator. It really is. It's like, why would I deserve to get, right? To get something that looks, you know, instantly better when I've treated it so horribly. And, um, and I think really 
it for me, it's it's grown my it's grown my compassion. It's grown my empathy. I think you know I have a special soft spot in my heart for people who and and I look. I welcome people who are anorexic. There, you know, there's a place for us all here who are bulimic. But I know for me, I have a special soft spot in my people, in in the people who have suffered from obesity, who have experienced the disease in that way. And I think. Yeah, I was kept humble long enough to make sure that I never go back to what I was like when I was younger. And I wanted to hide from the fact that, that I was once like that, right? That's how I was when I was younger. Please, in fact, one of the reasons I left the rooms of OA, I did not want to hang out with those fat people. That was my, that was my really obnoxious 22-year-old thinking. I'm thin now and I don't want to hang out with a bunch of fat old ladies. That was that was my really, really nice thinking. And look, it didn't get me very far, really didn't. And, you know, I needed, I needed to be brought down a few notches. So God knew what he was doing. He made it take its time this time, you know, this time. Um, yep. Hope that's helpful, Jane. Thank you, Jane, for the question. And thank you, Melissa. I have a question from chat. Do you fear another relapse? And why or why not? Nope. Nope. And I'm not cocky. I'm not cocky, but I'm not afraid. Um, no, I'm not afraid. I feel, first of all, I have, I've never um, had a relationship with um, God the way that I have it today. And that I think so long as I put my energy there, and strengthening that relationship. I don't have to worry about, uh, God does not, first of all, God wants me to be happy, joyous, and free. And if I'm living in fear of the, the shoe, you know, the other shoe dropping, I'm not living happy, joyous, and free. But I'm, but I'm diligent. I do today. You know, the same thing I did that first day that I like told that woman, help me, asked that woman, help me. Um, she's not my sponsor today. Like I've had other sponsors since then, but what I was willing to do that day, I still do. I still do the exact same thing that I did that day. In fact, more. And I think if I look at it that way, um, I don't have to be afraid of it. I don't have to be afraid of it. Thank you. Um... I don't have any other questions in chat. We do have some more time. If anybody has another question for Melissa, either on this topic or I'm going to uh, ask if she would be open to general questions as well. Melissa, is that okay? Okay. If anybody has a question for Melissa on this topic or uh, general recovery or big book, subjects. Go ahead, Melissa. Did you want to say something? No. Oh, okay. No. Nope. Uh, if you uh, can't raise your hand, you can also just feel free to unmute and ask a question.
Hi, Melissa. I just got a question um, in chat. Um, they said, not sure if she covered this, but how does she practice the 11th step? Yep. Okay. So, um, well, I really, thank you. I love that question. Um, I really, um, really value my prayer and meditation practice. It's a big part of, of what I do, of how I start my day. Um, I wake up in the morning, I pray, um, and I, um, my prayers are, some of them are like right out of the book, right? But a lot of what I pray is um, my own personal prayers. So if I have a dilemma, a problem, I got a prayer for that. <laughs> um, and I, I like, I'm like constantly writing prayers for situations and people. Um, and, um, and I share them with others. Like I'm laughing because I have a friend last night. We were, we were talking and she really helped me with the problem. And we were talking about, you know, increasing our prayer for, for our kids, for our dilemma. And, and so this morning I spent a lot of time in prayer on that. And I kind of put something together and I prayed and then I shared it because that's, you know, that's part for me. That's how I do my prayer. Um, I, so I, I take prayers that I create or love or that I hear or that I collect and I record them on my voice memo. It's like one of my little things I like to do. Um, and then I wake up in the morning and I hit play and I can listen to all, all these different prayers. And I got a prayer for everything, like from from COVID to um, a fellow at a meeting, right? If somebody upsets me, I got a prayer for them. I got a prayer for my work, for people I work with. I got a prayer for my husband. I got a prayer for my mother-in-law. I got a prayer for the politics of the world. I have a prayer for social injustice, anything that weighs heavy on my heart that feels that it's bigger than me, that I cannot control it. It means that I need, I need help. I need God. And so I freely go to God. And I spend a lot of time in prayer. Um, and I meditate. I love to meditate. I meditate to music. Um, my son recently has been playing the ukulele and he recorded himself playing like one of my favorite songs and um, which is John Lennon's Imagine. And so that's like, I sit and listen. That's part of my meditation practice. I just listen to it. And I have some other meditations that I like to do, usually music. Um, and when I'm meditating, I really try to just um, meditate on love, right? Just on love. And um, when something else pops up in my mind that doesn't feel like love, I gently redirect myself. I say it's like training a puppy. I tell my mind, stay, stay, stay on love. It drifts away. I have to pick it up again. I have to put it back down again and remind it to stay. But over time, it's actually, it's gotten, that muscle has grown in strength. And I always feel so much better after I meditate. Um, I reflect on my day um, so that I do an inventory. I inventory um, on a nightly review, but I often send it in the morning because I'll sometimes finish it at night and I don't want to send it 
at a crazy hour. So I wait and I share it with people because I need accountability. It works for me, makes me feel connected. I generally do it with sponsees when they've reached that point. It's sort of a teaching tool. I share my inventory. They share theirs. We kind of learn and grow from each other. Um, it's a good way to stay connected. It's a way to also connect with others in prayer because when I can read something that someone else is struggling with, um, then I've got something I can pray for. And when I have something that I'm struggling with and I share it elsewhere, I know that I'm in someone's prayers as well. And um, I think it keeps me humble. I think it's humility. Uh, you know, I am honest in my review. I don't, I'm not lying. It's the truth. Um, and um, I also, for my 11-step practice, um, I do journal every day. I do some kind of writing. Um, sometimes it's on a topic, like I was preparing for this. That was part of my daily work. Um, at the end of doing all this in the morning, um, I ask God to please, you know, make me useful today. Please give me another day that I can do your work. Help me keep me clear of the food. Um, and then I write my food down for the day. And um, that's, that's part of my 11 step. I mean, I read the stuff right out of the book too. That whole like 11 step thing. I've reworded that in a prayer in my own language. Um, and that's it. Thank you. I now have actually a series of questions in chat. I have a number of questions in chat. So the first one you you just touched on a little bit, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, how do you use writing? How do you use the tool of writing? Yeah. So I write every day, every day. And I have a few different things I'll do. One is um, if I'm working on a talk, and I've been doing a lot of talking recently, I'm working on a topic, something I'm going to share on, that's what I'm writing about right? That's, that's my daily focus. I'll be doing, I'll be doing some 12 step, um, you know, some big book reading. I'll be reading in the OA 12 and 12 and at the, and the AA 12 and 12. And then I put my ideas down and I'll journal and I'll write about it, how I can share on this, how it applies to my life. Something else I do for writing um, is I've done some of the two-way prayer I like some of that practice where I'll put a question out there, something that I need some direction on. And then um, before I do that, I do some praying. I feel open. I write a question, something I'm struggling with to God. And then I write and I answer myself back as if it, you know, as if God is coming through me. And I do it without a lot of thought. Pen is just moving, just what comes out, what comes out. Um, I also, I love the Vision for You meeting. I listen to that daily. I generally follow, read what we're reading. And I will take that paragraph that we're going to be focusing on for the day. And I might do a little journaling on that. I might think about that. It's, you know, how it applies to me. If I hear something that speaks to me that someone else said, I might do some writing and reflecting on that. So, yeah, I do write. I have journals upon journals upon journals. Thank you. Okay, <clears throat> from the chat, I'm in relapse. What is the first thing I need to do? I've been in program for 13 years, worked the steps several times, and here I am again, turning to the food for comfort. Well, you're doing one of the most important things, which is 
having humility and admitting it, saying it. Um, two is I would suggest that you find a um, recovered compulsive overeater who can go through the doctor's opinion with you. I always like to start there with people, really go through, go through the doctor's opinion, get really clear about your alcoholic foods and your alcoholic food behaviors. We, I find like I can't even make an approach until that part is clear. Um, pray, prayer, huge. Even if you don't believe, that's okay. You can pray just the same. Um, put everything aside that you think you know. Be willing to have an open mind and a new experience. Forget what you've been doing for 13 years, right? Be well, ready to start something else. And I would get on a meeting tomorrow morning, first thing. Thank you. And thank you to the person who asked the question. Next question from chat. What do you think about someone who calls themselves recovered and has worked all the steps, who defines their abstinence just as no red light foods or binging? Is this person in denial? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I would say abstinence is also defined as working towards a maintaining a normal, a healthy body weight. So I would say, I would probably ask the person of how long have you been in, in, this, in this state of abstinence recovered and um, are you a normal healthy body weight? And if not, you might need to look at your abstinence because abstinence is, because I've had that situation with people before where they're like, but I don't eat any sugar, I'm abstinent. Um, that, you know, but if you're still, right, if you're still overweight, according to like, you know, the doctors, right, go to the doctor, look at your, look at the weight, the weight chart. Um, do you fall in normal, healthy body weight? If you don't, how long have you been eating according to this plan? And is your body moving in that direction? If it's not, you're probably not eating abstinently. You're probably, or you need a food plan, right? You need, you, you need a food plan. And if I could just abstain with nothing else, um, that would be really easy, right? That would be really easy, but that doesn't seem to be the way that it comes for most people. So I would probably dig a little deeper and ask the person about their weight, right? If the person, I got a follow up that the person is of is not overweight, but only abstains from their red light foods. Maybe that's all they need to do. Maybe that's all that that you know what I could not. Um, I don't work a program that way, right? I would. I don't. This would be opinion, because it doesn't say it in the book right? This would strictly be opinion. And this could, there are people, right? If that, if that's their program, if they're in a normal, healthy body weight and they're, they have an allergy to the, to his particular food, they don't eat the food. They work the steps of the program. They're able to, sounds like they're okay to me. I mean, I don't, you know, they would know in their innermost selves, are they doing cuckoo things with the food? Um, if they're not, then sounds like they might be just fine. Thank you. Um, two more questions in chat. 
I think. Um, the first one, can you explain neutrality? My food is abstinent, abstinent, but I don't have neutrality. How do you get this? Okay. That's a great, yes. Yeah. So abstinence does not give you neutrality. In fact, abstinence alone gives you pretty much the opposite of neutrality. It makes you abstinent, crazy abstinent, crazy abstinent. So I would say in order to get neutrality, you've got to work all 12 steps. Um, we usually get pieces of neutrality in measured doses along the way. Step five is usually a nice big boost that we start to feel less pulled by the food. Um, and then it comes, I mean, that's really what happened for me that when I gave my fifth step for real, when I told the thing I thought I would never tell, um, I, I knew at that point I was never gonna have to eat compulsively again. I just got this feeling like everything was changing. Um, and, um, and the food didn't look the same anymore to me. It all just looked different. And then it happened even more intensively when I made an amend that I thought I could never make that it was like, oh my God, this, this thing is crazy. It's working. Um, and so neutrality means like if she wanted like a definition, food is just food. It has ceased to become anything that interests me. I mean, I, I can, I'm not cocky, right? But I can actually frost a cake. I've done it. I've, I've, I've frosted a cake. I've scooped ice cream for people. It doesn't, it doesn't look like food. It, it looks very nice for them. It has no pull on me, no desire for me. I've, you know, one of the in most incredible things about having neutrality was I was traveling someplace and um, I was actually, I was gonna speak. I was gonna be the keynote speaker at um, the region six. It was last year's region six convention. And, um, and I was decided I was gonna clean out my car because I was driving a friend with me. And, um, and I was like, all right, let me clean out the car. And when I found, when I cleaned out the car was that I had bought candy for my class I teach that had been in my car for months and months and months. And I'd forgotten that it was in my car. I was like, okay, that's the definition of neutrality. Then I had been driving around alone through life's ups and downs, right? With candy in the car and I forgot that it was there completely. That's neutrality, right? Thank you. Okay, one more question on Q in the chat. Um, a person who is brand new and struggling, how does one get past giving up flour and sugar and being tempted by other people's food all around me, even in my own home? Yeah, yeah, welcome to your disease, right? Um, if those foods are problematic for you, um, you're gonna have to pass through that uncomfortability, that period of uncomfortability where you don't have a spiritual connection yet and you have to let go of the food. It's like, you know, there's a part, we talk about the book in the book about our roots grasping new soil, 
right? The things that sustain you, the things that give you like, like sustenance, nourishment, your, your, are, are become different, right? But there's a period of time when your roots are in no soil at all. You're plucked out of your old soil, the food, and you're dangling for a moment, working hard to get transplanted in something better. And so you're in a vulnerable state. I call that, that's the hospitalization period. You're gonna need a lot of support, a lot of support. Um, you know, it's reaching out. It's that you cannot do it on your own. It's making many phone calls. It's lots of podcasts. It's lots of prayer. It's asking, earnestly asking God, help me. Even if I don't believe in you, you know, like I tell people, you can say, I don't know if I believe in you, but I know this woman, Melissa, she swears that you work. And if you do, I'll, I'll, I'll go for it. Help me. I need your help. I want, I, I, I believe it. Help me, help me. And, um, no, it's uncomfortable. You're right. It is all around you, but you know, we reached a point where we realized that I can't live with the food and I can't live without it. Right. I could not consume enough to get me comfortable. Right. I was, I was, I was screwed. My back's against the wall. And you're either at that spot, right? Or you're not. Right. And if you're at that spot, the only way out, you put it down. You've got to put it down and ask for help. You've got to put it down and get help. So. Thank you. We have one more question in chat, and I think that might be, that might take us to the end. So for the final question, um, what do you do when you are abstinent and the willingness goes, but I don't want to lose my abstinence? Well, we pray, right? We pray for, for willingness and willingness has, um, willingness is indispensable. We've got to have willingness and willingness, I say, has two components, desperation and hope, right? And so you sound desperate, right? Because you're like, I want it. I want it. You're putting the question out there. So there must be some piece of desperation. And then so the next step is, well, where's your hope, right? How can you how can you get more hope? And so um look for evidence of hope all around you. Look to, you know, look for, for anything that looks like it's going in one direction to the bad and then makes the right about face and turns around are all things that can give me hope. And I would say, you know, like right now today, take out a journal and start writing down miracles that you notice around you. Those are things that fill you with hope. They're, they're everywhere. Open your eyes and search for them. Have a make a decision that you're going to find the miracles around you. I say, it's like, you know, there's certain times when I have to use my, the good use of my will, right? That's the good use of my will to willingly look for good things, right? Those are the things that give me further hope. And I say, it's like looking, if you ever looked at Where's Waldo, you know, those Where's Waldo things, you can look at those Where's Waldo and Waldo's hidden in there. And um, that's hope, right? Waldo can be merely hope. So if you start viewing, start looking for things that are hope, that give you hope, they're everywhere. 
you know, and, and that can further increase your willingness. Um, you know, and I would say also avoid things that tell you that this isn't serious. Don't, 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 um, not that you don't want to go to meetings where, but don't, don't go, don't go to sources that are going to co-sign your bullshit. Right. That's what I say. Like, go to go to the honest truth. Go go to people that are going to tell you the truth. Go to places to hear the truth. Um, lovingly hear the truth, but hear the truth. Pray. Thank you so much, Melissa. And with that, we end the Q&A portion of this meeting.